Okay, Ruth chapter 2 is our sermon text for tonight, but first we'll read from 2 Corinthians 9. Please stand. Second Corinthians nine verses six through fifteen. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Let's go back to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. 
the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. You may be seated. One of the many uh, beautiful features of the law of God um, in the books of Moses is the way that it makes a point of providing uh, various kinds of protections and help uh, for the most vulnerable people in Israelite society. And in particular, there's a pretty well-known command in Deuteronomy 24, uh, sorry, verse 19, that I want to remind you of as we begin tonight which says, when you reap your harvest in, the f- in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. And Leviticus gives a similar instruction where it says, uh, don't reap your field right up to its edge. In other words, leave, cut the corners, leave, leave some grain around the edges Uh, for other people to gather up afterwards for free, who wouldn't otherwise um, have any grain of their own. So going back to Deuteronomy again, why does it say, what's the reason it gives for this? Why does it say Israelite farmers are supposed to act in this way? Well, it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So that memory of Israel's utter dependence on the grace and kindness of God. When they were helpless, 
That's to be a reminder for Israelite landowners to act then with grace and kindness toward the helpless and vulnerable people around them. Now, I'm not sure that we fully appreciate just what a desperate kind of situation Naomi and Ruth were in coming to Bethlehem from Moab in chapter 1. Because even though it's true the Lord has visited his people after the famine, verse 6, he's given them food, God has, has ended the famine, now he is blessing Israel with a good harvest, Israel in general. The big question here is, how are Naomi and Ruth going to take part in that newfound abundance? How are they going to enjoy it? How are they going to participate in it? Because they have no land to grow barley on. They've just shown up here. They don't have a field where they've been growing grain that would be ripening for this harvest. And so it could end up being like in the the rhyme of the ancient mariner, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Some barley, barley everywhere, not a bite to eat for Ruth and Naomi. So what's going to make the difference? What's going to ensure that they too are cared for, provided for, and are going to be able to survive? Well, the difference is going to be the favor or as we'll see, the grace, the generosity and kindness and thoughtful care of someone who's going to take notice of them and their vulnerable position and step up to his responsibility under the law of God to show to them the character of God in action. Okay, so as we get into this chapter, I want to divide it into three parts. First is going to be chance and providence, verses 1 through 7. Second will be plenty and protection, verses 8 to 16. And then third is a faithful man and a faithful God. So chance and providence, plenty and protection, and a faithful man and a faithful God. All right, so verse 1, we get introduced to this new character for the first time, Boaz, uh, who's going to be so important to the rest of the book. Uh, but when Ruth says in verse 2 that she plans to go out and try to, to glean what she can from the fields around Bethlehem, that's that practice of picking up that grain that's been left behind, the sheaves or the corners of the fields. Um, Ruth at, does not at that point know about Boaz and his relationship to her family. Ruth does not deliberately go looking for Boaz's farm. And so in verse 1, the narrator is giving us this background information so that we will be in the know when Ruth is not, okay? So that we can interpret the events that unfold uh, with greater understanding, with a bigger perspective than Ruth would have had as she was actually living through it. And this helps to explain uh, what the historian means in verse 3. When it says, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So she wasn't looking for Boaz's field. She didn't do it on purpose. From her point of view, it just happened that way. That's just the field that she wound up in. The first one she came to. It's just what worked out. And so from a human point of view, it could seem as though it was one of those situations where Ruth was just in the right place at the right time, right? And it's true. She was in the right place at the right time. That's, that's not false. 
But don't think for a moment that the historian is implying um, that Ruth winding up in Boaz's field on this particular day was some kind of accident. Um, This amazing stroke of luck in the grand scheme of things. Because the whole point here, the reason that in verse 1 he tells us who Boaz is up front before Ruth finds out. The whole point is for us to marvel here at the goodness and the, the wise and careful providence of God in bringing Ruth and Boaz together at this moment in time when neither one of them was looking for the other. And yet, here they're thrown together in God's plan. There's various writers pick up on this and make, make a great deal of this, this verse where it says she just happened uh, on Bo- to be in Boaz's field. And, and they, uh, they'll make a very helpful application from this. For example, Sinclair Ferguson is one of them. Um, and, and he does a really good job of reflecting on how in our lives as well, this is the same pattern that so often is, is going on when something that from our point of view seems like, feels like just chance, just happened that way, um, is in fact the result of the deliberate and careful plan and providence of our wise and almighty Heavenly Father who's always working and nothing's catching him by surprise. There's no such thing as chance in an ultimate sense, right? God's works of providence are what? His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. There's, there's nothing that happens in your life that falls outside of that purpose and plan and providence of God. And yet, think about how does God do that? What does that look like in action? How has God designed the world to operate under that providential plan, well, God in his wisdom has created a world where where things do seem and feel, where we experience them as random, where we experience them as kind of chaotic. And from our point of view, they are utterly unpredictable, subject to all kinds of chances and accidents and happenstance that we, we cannot control or foresee. So from the creaturely point of view, um, that's how they, that's they, how they appear, that's how they feel, that's how we experience them. But even as we see things that way, even as we experience them that way, we also trust. We trust that simultaneously those things are all foreseen and controlled by the Lord. And we admit our creatureliness, we admit our limitations, and we, we take life as it comes to us, right? In that mysterious but wise and good plan of God. Um, that so often looks and feels like chance, even though we know in an ultimate sense it is not. And it's in that sense then. That's, that's what the, uh, the uh, historian is communicating here when he says that Ruth just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And it's in that sense that all manner of things have just happened in your life that have brought you to this point in your life and even to this place this Sunday evening. Think of all the things that had to happen to get you here. How many of them were outside your control? How many of them felt like chance? And yet, you're here by God's plan. As he ordained not only the end, but all the steps along the way. Okay, well, Boaz comes to the field now. He comes out from Bethlehem, out into his field. He's going to check and see how things are going on his farm. And you notice how he's introduced here, how the historian... Uh, doesn't so much tell us about his character. Well, he says earlier that he's a worthy man, 
But then as he, he wants to unfold Boaz's character for us, he doesn't do it um, by explaining his character. He does it through dialogue, right? What are the first words out of Boaz's mouth? The first words out of Boaz's mouth are, the Lord be with you. And then the reapers reply, the Lord bless you. And so we're getting this impression from the first words out of Boaz's mouth. This is a man who is blessed by God and who has become a blessing from God to others as he's about to become a blessing from God to Ruth and Naomi. And so here's Boaz. He's looking out over his field and he sees this stranger that he doesn't recognize and and he asks who she is and the foreman uh, tells him that this is the Moabite woman uh, who came back from Moab with Naomi. And Boaz says, oh yeah, I, I know about that. I heard about uh, Ruth and what she did. Um, now, we won't find that out till later, but already Boaz has made this connection in his mind. This is, this is Ruth. Uh, uh, she left her family of origin because she was so committed, so loyal to Naomi. It's very artistic here. It's very literary, the way the narrator doesn't, doesn't tell us right away that Boaz has made the connection. So, so back in verse 1, he gives us that lots of information that Ruth doesn't have, uh, so that we'll see right away why Boaz is so important. So we'll be on pins and needles uh, for the whole chapter for Ruth to find that out, who Boaz is. In this case, he keeps us on pins and needles the opposite way. Now he doesn't tell us right away uh, what Boaz knows about Ruth's backstory. So now we'll be on pins and needles along with Ruth, wondering why in the world Boaz is suddenly extending such amazing generosity to her. Um, so it's, it's just uh, genius the way the... the the storytelling of how it's building this this tension and keeping us on our toes as it goes along, uh, building the excitement and drawing us into the wonder of what's going on in the story. Now, uh, notice how how perfectly Boaz's plan here answers Ruth's deepest needs, shelters her in terms of her most basic vulnerabilities at this moment in her life. And um, the most basic one, of course, is hunger. If she doesn't get food, then she and Naomi are going to starve to death. They're not going to survive. Um, and so that first need is food. And Boaz guarantees that by saying, well, you just stay in my field. You stick with my servants and glean all that you can. Um, drink, drink the same water that my servants drink. So in response to Ruth's hunger, uh, Boaz responds with the promise of plenty. But, of course, that's not Ruth's only worry. Here she is, she's this young woman out in the middle of a field, surrounded by a bunch of men that she doesn't know, uh, maybe a sort of rough-and-tumble kind of crowd. Um, And you may think, well, she doesn't have anything to worry about from them because this is Israel that we're talking about, right? Well, if you were paying attention for the book of Judges, then you know that being in Israel is no guarantee that a woman is going to be safe, especially at this time in Israel's history. If anything, the time of the judges was an unusually difficult and risky time for women in Israel, because remember, there was no king. Everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. And that is a potentially terrible and terrifying situation for any vulnerable person in Israel to be in. So your safety or not, as a woman in Israel at this time, would have depended completely on the character 
of the people among whom you lived and worked. Because there wasn't that king, there wasn't that consistent rule of law reliably protecting you with the power of force externally from those who might harm you, given the chance. And that's what makes it all the sweeter. To realize that Ruth has found herself on the farm of a godly man. Of a man of integrity. A man of self-control. Who is able to control not only himself, but also the men under his charge. Boaz is able here to influence his farm hands also to honor the law of God and to respect Ruth so that she does not have to be afraid. She does not have to be afraid of harassment from them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And so you see these, these two needs that Boaz has met in response to Ruth's hunger, Boaz has provided plenty, and in response to her vulnerability and lack of protection, he has provided protection. All she has needed, his hand has provided, you could say. Uh, Through him, that is, the Lord has provided these things for Ruth because great is his faithfulness, the Lord's faithfulness. Lived out in life, this faithful man. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, I want to point out one of the words in verse 10. It says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. So she's overcome overcome by Boaz's generosity. She's grateful for it. But she can't account for it. She can't explain it. She doesn't understand. Why is he being so nice to me? And so she says to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? I'm a foreigner. You don't, even, you don't even know me. Why are you making so much of me and my needs? And that word favor is the one I just wanted to bring out for you. Um, I know what you're going to think. You're going to think that it's chesed because I'm always talking about that word. It's not. It's not. It is the Hebrew word for grace, though, which is a different word. Um, and it comes up again in verse 13, just understanding that um, that word for favor and the word for grace are the, are the same words, that concept of, uh, you know, we think about God's grace, it's him showing his favor to us when we don't deserve it. Um, and this is this, this favor that Boaz shows to Ruth. This is yet another way that we can see Boaz's character reflecting, picturing, um, even embodying for us, especially for Ruth, the character of God. Boaz living as a godly man, showing the character of God in his own life. Um, He's showing the attributes of God, uh, being lived out as he shows favor, grace to this foreigner, this this poor woman that he could very easily have just overlooked and ignored um, or just kind of merely tolerated. But he doesn't do that, and why not? Why doesn't he treat her that way? Well, it's because, verse 11, he has heard her story, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now keep that image in mind. Boaz says, you've come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. It's going to be a very important image in the next chapter, okay? because Ruth, in chapter 3, is going to end up asking Boaz to take her under his wings. Another way that Boaz is going to image the care of God for Ruth uh, in his own care for Ruth. But right now, 
or being set up for that, as Boaz is, is saying, it's under the wings of the Lord that you have taken refuge by leaving Moab behind, and by committing yourself at such great cost to Naomi, not just to Naomi, but to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. I, I love this imagery of the wings of the Lord in Scripture. Uh, we sang about it this morning, Psalm 17. Uh, Psalm 36, another place, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Or Psalm 91, where he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, and he will cover you with his pinions, it says. That's the kind of outer edge and the tips of the bird's wings, wingspan. And under his wings, it says, you will find refuge. It's this image of security and, and warmth and protection and, and intimacy of our smallness next to God's greatness and his, his presence and power towards us that's so much greater than our weakness and frailty next to him. And that's, that's what Ruth has gained by all that she has given up. And the Lord is now making that very tangible to her through his servant Boaz, who is becoming the Lord's instrument in her life at this moment, providing for her that plenty, that protection that Ruth's hunger and vulnerability so desperately needed. Um, so Boaz becomes even more generous as it goes on. Verse 14, he invites Ruth uh, not just to glean in the field, but actually to sit down with him and his workers to enjoy their, uh, their lunch. And uh, so when, when she continues gleaning after that, he tells his workers, don't just let her glean the normal stuff from the corners of the field or the stuff that gets dropped or left behind. He tells, he tells them, pull out a little bit of extra from what you have gathered and leave that for her on purpose so that she's going to get here not just the scraps that they left behind, but she's going to take part in the actual harvest that they've taken in and get a piece of that. And so the result is that Naomi comes home, uh, sorry, Ruth comes home to Naomi with a huge haul here. Um, it's, it's an entire ephah of barley berries, it says, which would be more than a five-gallon bucket full. You think of the way, if, you, if any of you buy grain in bulk, you know, a five-gallon bucket, be more than one of those um, that Ruth comes home with of threshed grain from one day of work. Uh, plus, she brings home her um, her leftovers from the midday meal. It's just this overflowing abundance of goodness that Ruth never could have expected, never could have asked for when she left home that morning. And yet there it is. So freely given to her. And she comes home and Naomi is amazed by all of this. And she says, where did you work today? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And, and Ruth tells her, well, his, his name was Boaz. Have you ever heard of him? And that's when Naomi makes a connection and she realizes, well, she realizes, well, we've, we've known about this since verse one, right? Did you say Boaz, Ruth? No way. Um, it reminds me of uh, Casablanca, Humphrey Bogart, was like, of all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world. She walks into mine, except this is in a good way, of all the fields and all the farms and all of Bethlehem, the countryside around Bethlehem, Ruth wound up in Boaz's. 
Naomi knows. Yeah, I know who he is. May he be blessed by the Lord. It's not just Boaz she blesses. It's the Lord himself she praises. The Lord whose kindness. And there's chesed. That steadfast love. Covenantal loyalty. That kindness. Whose chesed kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Remember, that's what Naomi said of Ruth and Orpah back in chapter 1, right? Um, Ruth and Orpah had shown chesed to her and to her dead husband. Well, now the Lord, she says, has shown chesed to them all. And how has he done that? Well, it's been through that faithfulness, that favor of Boaz. And it gets better because Boaz is not merely a godly man. He's not merely a godly man. Uh, Daniel Block points this out. We need two parts here to get us to the end of Ruth. Um, Boaz had just been a man of strong character. Well, Ruth might have had plenty of food, but you wouldn't have gotten the extraordinary um, ending of them getting married at the end. He also needs to be a redeemer. He needs to be godly, and he needs to have this redeemer relationship. Verse 20. Um, Now, in the Old Testament law, a redeemer uh, was a close relative who had a number of different legal responsibilities uh, to protect and provide for, sometimes to execute justice on behalf of a family member. Uh, for For instance, a redeemer might be called upon to buy back some land uh, that a relative had had to sell uh, because he was poor. So the redeemer would, would buy back that land and thereby keep it from um, passing out of that family, that clan. Or um, maybe if there was a poor man who had had to sell himself into servitude to settle his debts, well, the redeemer might be called upon to buy back that man's freedom. Um, and there are other duties that are mentioned in the law as well. Um, And then on top of that, it seems that there was uh, perhaps this broader kind of cultural understanding um, of other things that a redeemer might be responsible to do to care for those close relatives that he was responsible to help and protect and provide for, even beyond what's explicitly spelled out in, um, in the books of Moses. Now, it's in the next chapter that we're going to see unfolding the the particular way that redeemer status of Boaz is going to uh, come to bear on the story. But for now, we can just stop and take stock of a couple things so far. The first one is just to repeat, as we've already talked about, just the amazing providence of God in bringing Ruth into contact with this particular person at this particular time, the one man in all of Bethlehem, in all of Israel, really, who was uniquely situated to show to her that favor, that grace, that covenantal faithfulness that that Ruth and Naomi so desperately needed at this very dark time in their uh, bitter pain and loss and poverty. But then in addition to that amazing providence of God, we also want to see here that beautiful picture of the character of God being lived out in Boaz himself, this faithful man that God is using to work out his plan. Think about that, how God could have provided for Ruth and Naomi some other way, right? Uh, Some, like, direct bread-from-heaven kind of way. He could have just given them manna and taken care of them that way. But he doesn't do that. How does he do it instead? 
He does it in a much more ordinary way, the way he usually does it, and that's he does it through a man, a person, another. I mean, he does it through this man that he has uniquely prepared, uniquely appointed to be just the right person at just the right time to meet just the very need of these impoverished and vulnerable people that he means to show his faithfulness to. And that teaches us something right there, doesn't it? About how God works. Our faithful God accomplishes his saving plan. How? He does it through a faithful man, a redeemer. This is what God has done for us, beloved, in Jesus Christ. That great descendant of Boaz and Ruth. Christ, our Redeemer. Christ, the faithful, faithful man. The faithful and true. That's his name. Who perfectly reveals the character of God to us. who sacrificed himself, who willingly gave of himself to be that rescuer, that provider, that protector that we needed when we could not rescue or protect or provide for ourselves. And so you see, it's it's in him, it's in Christ then, that the Lord is calling each of us to give ourselves then in a Christ-like sacrificial love to one another, to think, where is it that maybe I have the opportunity to embody for somebody else, to be, to be that mirror in which they are going to see the character of God displayed? To be, where, where do I have the opportunity to be the tool, the instrument, to be the vessel, to be the hand by which they are going to feel the love the loyalty, the grace, the favor, the kindness of the Lord. Lived out in my life as I love and help and serve and nurture and protect them, as I do that for Jesus' sake, because he has been my protector, my provider, my redeemer. He has given himself for me in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death. See, we're called to be God's instruments that he is going to use to bring his blessing, his grace, his chesed to bear on others' lives. But we're only going to be able to do that. It's not as simple as just, well, just be like Boaz. No, we're only going to be able to do that if we have first felt that ourselves through Christ. If we have known in our own hearts that love, that faithfulness, that protection and provision that God has given us through our great Redeemer, Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for um, these wonderful characters and for this um, very touching story that just doesn't get old as we see your provision lived out, as we see the great relief after seeing so many ungodly, um, crooked and stuff. There's awful characters and judges, time after time. It's so good to be able to see this godly man 
living in a godly way and picturing for us so clearly our great Redeemer, Lord Jesus, his greater, Boaz's greater descendant, who has done for us uh, what Boaz did for Ruth only so many times over. And so we pray that in him you would teach us, Lord, you would use us to be your instruments of blessing, of faithfulness, of love, provision, and protection in the lives of the people around us that you've called us to serve and help in Jesus' name. Amen.